Good morning, Four Oaks. It is Tuesday, February 15th. Hope everybody had a great Valentine's Day with their love, but we are here diving into the Word of God. So this past Sunday, we were in Romans 7 on Sunday mornings at Four Oaks, and Paul is using the illustration of divorce and remarriage to talk about our relationship to the law. And Paul mentions there that just as when one dies, the law, the, like the, the civil law or, or any law, is no longer applicable to a dead person. That makes sense. He said in the same way, um, as if a, if a husband dies, the wife is free to remarry. But if she marries someone while he's still alive, someone else, then she's an adulteress. And some have um, taken that to mean that um, Paul is making a very rigid prescription about divorce and remarriage and saying that, um, that remarriage is never allowed as long as one's former spouse is alive or as long as one's husband is alive or wife. And we, I made the point that I don't think that was Paul's, Paul's teaching at all. Um, Paul is just using that point about if a spouse dies, you're free to remarry just as an, Ill, uh, an illustrative point. Uh, to prove his larger point about how we have to die to the law. But I did say that th because this raised a number of issues about divorce and remarriage, uh, this was something we were going to tackle this week. And yesterday, kind of talked about what the grand purpose of marriage is, the to, to picture, to demonstrate, to be a parable, a living story of Christ and the church. And that that it wasn't that God gave us the church to show us what marriage was like. God gave us marriage to show us what Jesus's love for his bride is like. And that's why we won't need marriage in heaven. We'll see Jesus face to face. But then I ended that time though, by saying that while all divorce then is a product of sin, because it's not in accordance with God's design, not all divorces are sinful. And so I want to pick it up at that point and go to Matthew 19 where Jesus gives a teaching about divorce, and it's illustrative on a variety of levels. But let's read it, Matthew 19, beginning at verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond in Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So here's the setting. Um, Jesus has obviously been teaching about divorce and marriage, and even going all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this idea that that God made man and woman to be together, to be one flesh. And the Pharisees think they are 
uh, they want to test Jesus because they know what Deuteronomy, the Old Testament law, has to say about divorce. And in there, Moses, there's a prescription that um, allows men to issue their wives as a certificate of divorce. And what they're basically saying is, well, what about this, Jesus? What, what, what do you do with the Old Testament law? And, and Jesus, you got to love this, okay, quotes scripture to give them a bigger context of what's going on here. He said, yes, it's true Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but that was only because of your hardness of heart. This wasn't the way God originally intended, okay? The, what God originally intended was that what man, man and woman would come together and that no one would separate them. So then we have to ask, then, then what was happening in the Old Testament law? Well, um, because in, in, in many ways, the decree for divorce or the permission for divorce was in a lot of ways to protect the innocent party, right? Instead of man, men willy-nilly divorcing their wives here and there all over the place, and then in that culture, women being left to fend for themselves, they would have no hope. Um, instead, they were issued a certificate of divorce where they would then return to their homes or their families where they could find protection. And God and Moses said, this is not the way God intended it, but because of your hardness of heart, because of your sin, this was an allowance made at that time. And but 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 God's true intention was that man and woman would not be divorced. However, he says, except in one circumstance. And he tells us about this circumstance in Matthew 7. And it says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So we have to ask, what is Jesus talking about here? And why does he um, give this prescription for when divorce is allowable? Did he not just say, let no man separate? Well, first of all, the word that Jesus uses for sexual immorality here is porneia. And it's a very broad word, okay? And it means sexual deviancy of a variety of types. And so Jesus here is not just simply focused on the physical act of sexual intercourse as a violation of marriage, although that certainly qualifies but it's any sort of marital sexual unfaithfulness that divides two partners. Um, this could be homosexual sin. This could be um, sexual addictions that interfere with the mutual enjoyment of conjugal rights in a marriage. It could be anything that, 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 that violates um, the sexual ethic and purity that God intended for marriage. And in, in, in other words, all unrepentant sexual sin, okay? Now, when Jesus was writing in that context, um, this meant certain things, okay? In our context, it can mean certain things. And I don't want to get into um, a tit for tat and trying to delineate well, what qualify, what sexual sin qualifies for divorce or doesn't qualify for divorce. Um, I more want to establish a principle that God does allow for divorce, doesn't command it, doesn't mandate it, but God does allow for divorce in those sort of circumstances and marital unfaithfulness. And we have to ask why. Flip back to Je Jeremiah chapter three. You know, one of the most 
quoted passages in the Bible is Malachi 2. I think it's Malachi 2. Malachi, certainly, where God says, I hate divorce. And some have used that as, as an apologetic to say, you should never divorce. Well, when we look at Jeremiah chapter 3, and I'll just give you fair warning if kids are in the background. This is a pretty explicit pack, um, passage, okay? Um, but it, I think it's important to get the full context to understand um, this idea of divorce. So Jeremiah chapter 3. If a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers, and would you return to me, declares the Lord. Lift up your eyes to see the bare heights and see where have you not been ravished. By the waysides you have sat awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your vile whoredom. Therefore the showers have been withheld, and the spring rain has not come. Yet you have, been, have the forehead of a whore, and you refuse to be ashamed. Have you now... Not just call to me, my father, you are a friend of my youth. Will he be angry forever? Will he be indignant to the end? Behold, you have spoken, but you have done all the evil that you could. All right. So that's a vivid picture of God is using of sexual immorality, but he's applying it to Israel. He's saying, this is what you, I'm your bridegroom, Israel. You're the bride. You have been unfaithful to me. Um, you have gone after other gods and other countries and other warriors and other saviors. You have not been faithful to me. And so drop down, verse 8. God says, She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Now that's interesting. See, God is writing to Jeremiah where... The people of Israel have been exiled. They have been cast away. Um, the country, in a sense, has been issued a decree of divorce. And it's interesting that, that Jeremiah uses this imagery of sexual immorality, her faithlessness to God as the condition for her divorce. And I think this is the backdrop, again, for Matthew 19. What Jesus is telling us is that, yes, God created man and woman to be together for no one to separate, but there is a condition by which the covenant can be so violated um, as typified in sexual immorality. And we know that in a marriage, there is no betrayal of trust greater than sexual immorality um, to make yourself one with another when you have committed oneness with your with your beloved. And Jesus says because of that, it creates a condition where the covenant is broken. It creates a condition by which um, divorce is allowable, okay? And again, not always permitted, not not mandated, but allowable, particularly, particularly, I would say, in the in the condition of unrepentant sexual sin. Now, this might raise a whole host of issues for us and other questions. We don't not going to get into all of them today. 
but I want to more set the principle here that God often that God does sanction divorce not as the ideal, but as a protection for the innocent party when the covenant of marriage has been violated, when there is no longer this marital binding trust as demonstrated in unrepentant sexual immorality. And again, this is not to split hairs and to find all the different ways someone's spouse, their sexual sin um, qualifies for um, divorce. That, that's, not, that's not the spirit here. The spirit is one of principle to note when divorce is allowable. Now, one of the things that we're going to see as we get into this subject, because there's no more subject, I think, that's hotly debated and controversial than divorce and remarriage, that all of these things are predicated on the idea that they are being hashed out and discerned within the community of God. It's interesting in Matthew 18, which is right before Matthew 19, there is this teaching about sin and discipline and community in the body of believers. And Jesus tells us about this process of discipline and correction that we are to engage with one another in, in the body of Christ. And so these passages are not meant to be lifted out of a communal context and to be exercised willy-nilly according to how see, people see fit. It necessitates the community. It, it, it necessitates godly leadership. It necessitates elders and pastors shepherding people, walking them through difficult, complex situations to discern how the scripture applies in a particular context. And we'll come back to that idea later this week. But right now, what we're wanting to set in, in place is this principle of what is considered um, grounds for divorce. And Jesus says, a violation of the marital covenant of which sexual sin, right, is the case in point, by which sexual sin is the ultimate uh, grounds for breaking the covenant as demonstrated by the fact that God issued a decree of divorce to his people Israel in the Old Testament, sent them into exile because of their marital unfaithfulness to him. All right, we are, we are wading into the, into the weeds here, into the, into the deep waters. And so just encourage you to, to stay engaged, stay with it, be committed to working through these passages. Tomorrow, we're going to look at what Paul says about divorce how this relates to what Jesus has to say about divorce um, and remarriage. So commend this to you, um, study these things, think about these things, pray over these things. Lord, it's good that we come to your word asking what you teach us about the most sensitive subjects and areas of our lives. And so Lord, our sexual lives, our marital lives, they belong to you and we give them up to you now and ask that you would lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow.